Hey everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. As always, we're brought to you by you with your support on Patreon.com. Today, I'm joined by Sam Alberry. He does a lot of things. He's a visiting professor, an editor for the Gospel Coalition, a pastor, all kinds of um, exciting things. So Sam, thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you today. What we're going to do is we're going to survey um, some of Sam's books he's written and just difficult questions surrounding um, sexuality, especially with regards to like questions surrounding homosexuality and singleness. Um, so Sam, just to start off, could you introduce yourself, like talk about like who you are and what you do? Yeah, so um, I'm from the UK, as you can probably tell. I'm living in Nashville at the moment, Tennessee. Um, yeah, I, I've been a, been in Christian ministry for the last 15 to 20 years, mostly as a local church pastor, more latterly doing kind of increasing kind of apologetics kind of things. Mm -hmm. And based at Emmanuel Nashville Church here in, in Nashville, and um, very glad to be so. Yeah. Yeah, that's so exciting. Um, and I'm excited to talk to you about um, really important issues and questions, especially um, with regards to what's going on in our times and such. So what got you interested in like um, writing and working around the questions regarding like sexuality and things like that? Yeah, it was it was no, there was no grand design on my part to kind of speak into these issues. Um, I've, I've always had a slightly skeptical mind. So I, I became a Christian when I was 18. And have always been able to remember what it felt like to be an unbeliever. So mm -hmm. um, I've always had a natural kind of skepticism where I've been sort of asking questions and thinking, what would the pre-converted me make of what I'm hearing right now? So I've always kind of been sensitive to objections people have to the Christian faith and, and wanting to have good answers to those things. Um, so obviously, with all the cultural changes that have happened in the last 10 or 12 years, um, issues of sexuality have just been at the forefront of, of culture. And therefore, it's been something I've been constantly thinking, well, what's our response to these questions and these challenges? Um, then add to that a personal dimension. These are issues I've had to wrestle with myself um, in terms of thinking through my own sexuality as a disciple of Jesus. Um, someone who who's wrestled with same-sex attraction so this is this has been not just an issue relevant to the wider church and to culture but it's been part of my own walk with Jesus from the moment I became a Christian is trying to think these things through and follow him um, thank you so much for um, sharing a little bit about you and your story and such. Um, so I think it's helpful when we're looking at like um, the questions regarding like sexuality. It seems like it can be so broad because there's so many just different topics. But like from your perspective, like where do we start when looking at like the Christian worldview surrounding um, sexuality and like what what can we do and such along along these lines? Because it's a difficult topic. It is. It's hugely sensitive. It's hugely contested. Um, I think for me, the best place to start is is just with the teaching of Jesus. Um, it's, you know, the whole, the whole Bible has things that we need to learn and, and heed on this. But um, I find just the teachings of Christ himself and the Gospels are a useful starting point. It's a good way of trying to show people that this is a Jesus issue. It's not just a, it's not just part of the baggage of Christianity, but it's part of the message of Jesus himself. And um, I think people are often surprised that, how much he has to say i think people tend to think jesus is kind of neutral on these things and actually he says both very challenging and very dignifying things about human sexuality that apply to all of us so 
I think it's useful to start there. The other thing is that it it shows people immediately that that Jesus is is challenging all of us on this. He's not challenging some of us. He's not challenging kind of one type of of sexuality. He's challenging all of us. Um, so I think that it kind of helps to show that we're all in the same boat fundamentally, whatever other differences there may be of experience and and other things. Um, and the other thing to say is. You know, Jesus describes himself, among other things, as the bridegroom. So that immediately, again, gives us a, a bigger context and narrative within which to frame our discussions about human sexuality. Um, if Jesus is the bridegroom, we need to know what he means by that. And that has fundamental and, and just wonderful implications for how we think about human sexuality in its totality. So that's where I tend to, to start anyway. Yeah, thank you for kind of uh, breaking that down. So one of your books you wrote about was the question of like, is God anti-gay? Um, and it's an interesting question because I know of a, at least a lot of people that would think that. Um, I know a lot of my friends that may not be Christians will kind of go around the lines where it's just like we have this God that wants to control like what we do with our bodies. And um, he, he's against homosexuality and doesn't like people that are gay and things like that. Um, so in looking at this general challenge of like the question of is God anti-gay um, specifically here, how would you respond to that question? Yeah, it, and I, I chose the question um, to be the title of the book simply because it was, it's a question that comes up all the time. And um, it's, it's one of those questions that is framed in a way that suggests there should be a yes or no answer to it, but, but neither yes nor no does full justice to the whole gospel. Um, so what I would tend to say is if there's no hope for gay people, there's no hope for anyone. Um, if people who are gay are beyond any hope of the gospel, then all of us are beyond any hope of the gospel because all of us are, are sexual sinners. All of us are fallen in our sexuality. Um, that said, God does show us what human sexuality is designed for and there are certain things that contradict that design that he, he prohibits in scripture and any kind of same sex behavior um, is is included as part of those prohibitions. So he's certainly um, anti same sex relationships in a romantic and sexual way. Um, but to the people who are inclined to um, towards those, he is showing amazing love by offering us the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so there is there is a time in which we live, we don't know for how long, where where the, the offer of, of Christ is available to all of us. So he's he's not fundamentally against us if at the very same time he's offering us life in his son. I think that's such a good place to start is with the message of the cross because um, it brings back the idea that like we're all sinners um, and we all have our sins that we need to repent of and go mm. forward with. But we all, um, no matter who we are, share a chance at a common savior. Um, so it's a beautiful place. Um, on a different note here, but somewhat similar, um, some of my friends got me into watching WandaVision. I don't know if you've um, <laughs> watched it, Sam. <laughs> I have. Yeah, I didn't understand a huge amount of it because I don't, I don't know the Marvel Universe as well as the show's intended to to be mm -hmm. yeah it's literally the same boat for me but one of my roommates is like really big into it and he was explaining everything to me and i was like oh, oh okay now i'm 
picking it up a little bit. But um, regardless of that, there's the main actress in that is Elizabeth Olsen. And I was researching her because um, I was just curious who she was. And I found an interesting quote. She's an atheist and she was talking about this idea of how um, she's an atheist because she doesn't think a God would want to control someone's freedom. And I think she's refer referring to like sexuality here. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you think of kind of like this counter argument where we'd say we have this God that just wants to control our freedom of what we do with regards to our body and um, sexuality and, and such? Yeah, it's, a, it's, an, it's a very understandable point of view. And I, I can sort of see why people get there. Um, I think it's misunderstanding who God is. Um, if God is simply an authority, then that would be a fair conception of, of our relationship to God and his relationship to what we do. It's just one of control, one of authority. Um, one of the verses I love is in Psalm 33, 34, I think, taste and see that the Lord is good. If if the centre of the universe is, is fundamental, unfathomable goodness, and he cares about what we do with our bodies, then... It will it will help us to listen to what he has to say. Um, if he if he made us, if he loves us, if he designed us, if he came up with the idea of each one of us, if he came up with the idea of of sex itself and has a, a good purpose for that, then it will only harm us to ignore him. So it's it's not a a fair characterization of what we believe as Christians to say that there's a God who controls us. <laughs> Um, he's sovereign, so in that sense he does, but it, it kind of it misses the main thrust of who he is and the, the, the blessing and life that we enjoy by by following in his ways. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd love to say to her, if I've had the opportunity, that she wants to presumably control her own life and her own body. Um, what if there is a God who just knows so much more than we do and is so much better than we are? Wouldn't we better off be better off listening to him than listening to ourselves? If if we're going to be controlled by someone, I'd rather be controlled by Jesus Christ than by me, because he has he has proven beyond doubt he's much better qualified <laughs> uh, to run my life than I am. And if again, if there's a good creator God up there, then why wouldn't he care about our sexuality and our sex lives and what we do with our bodies? It, it would be given we care so much about it, it would be negligent of him not to care about it. So that's a jumble of thoughts, but I'd, I'd love to show her that God is not just a controller. <laughs> um, he's he's actually good, profoundly good. Yeah, God is perfect. Um, so I love how you kind of unpack that, Sam. Um, another kind of question along these lines is, um, well, maybe we just have these natural desires. Um, in a more like um, atheistic argument, there's like the idea of like Paul Draper who talks about um, we have these like wiring towards pain, pain and pleasure and things like um, sex and food give us pleasure because they're essential. Um, but it's kind of like this idea of we should just kind of pursue pleasure almost um, with regards to like hedonism and just do what makes you happy as long as you're not hurting someone else. Um so would you kind of give like a similar line of thought where we have to look at like, um, like maybe let's like what ult what's ultimately good or how would you respond to like someone who says, I just want to do what makes me happy um, and doing certain mm -hmm. maybe things that we would say is immoral in Christianity don't make us happy. Um, so how would you kind of respond to that line of thought? Yeah, I'd probably borrow a lot from C.S. Lewis at this point and say that actually God doesn't want any less for us than that. It's just that mm -hmm. 
happiness is ultimately going to be found in him and not in ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're just not qualified and able to make ourselves happy. Um, and the more we look within to sort of try and find out what our desires are, what would make us happy, the more confusion we find. Um, because some of the things that make me happy actually would harm others. So even the way you frame the question smuggles in this mm. idea that it can't harm other people. Well, where's that come yeah. from? Um, who mm. decided that? Um, so it shows us it's got to be more than our own subjective sense of personal happiness. Mm. There's something external we're already bringing in to constrain that. Um, with Christianity, we can actually account for what that something external is and have a, a kind of rationale for it. It seems to me the secular person just has to assume that external constraint without really being able to, to defend it. Um, so, I mean, again, Christianity is good news. Um, it's it's not, it's difficult. It's, it's it, you know, following Jesus can be deeply painful because we're, we're denying self. That means we're, we're saying no to all kinds of very deep-seated and profound and, and natural to us feeling kinds of desires and wants. But we find in, as, as Christians that as we say no to self and yes to Christ, it actually leads to a deeper joy. We're, we're training ourselves to, to find happiness in what God has designed for us. And it doesn't make it easy all the time, but it, it does make it far more satisfying um, and if it's simply the case that every everyone just has to make themselves happy on their own terms, um, that does not go well for human society. We've we've seen that that time and again. So, um, as C.S. Lewis would say, our our desires are too small. Um, we we look for happiness in in the mud when there's a whole ocean to enjoy. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I also think about um, Augustine because I was reading his mm. confessions last year and he talks about um, one of the first lines of the book is my, I'm going to not get this directly right, but it's yeah. like my soul is restless until I found the, um, or something along these lines. And he talks about a story of just chasing the world and his pleasures and stuff and talking about how he realized it was really just worthless because of the ocean. Um, that was the beauty of a relationship yeah. with God. I think, I mean, Ecclesiastes is the book for, for that moment, isn't it? Um, because mm -hmm. you see someone there who, who actually had the opportunity to give full reign to his desires and chased all of them down to the very end and, and, and found nothing. And we've seen that play out so many times, haven't we? Um, yeah. You know, anyone who actually gets all the things they wanted ends up deeply unsatisfied. Mm -hmm. um, and we all kind of roll our eyes and think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But with me, it would be different, but it, mm -hmm. it just is. Yeah, no, that's so real. I think about Jim Carrey. You talked about. I wish everyone was. I think it was Jim, the actor, the yeah. funny guy. It was yeah. like I wish everyone was rich, rich and happy because they'd realize that that wasn't like what it's all about. Um, so yeah, yeah. He, he said some really profound things along those lines. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, so the second topic I have for you here um, is this this view of of singleness because obviously yourself you're you're um, so you've developed a lot of like thought i'm sure you think about this on a very personal level um so we're looking at like a christian view of what it means to be single and things like that where do, where do you kind of go um with this important question yeah well that, this is another area where we really need to weigh what we tend to assume culturally about these issues with against what the bible actually says and the bible has a very very different approach to singleness to kind of western culture even at times to christian culture 
So we've, we've got to open the scriptures. The Bible speaks to this issue, so we need to know what it says. And much of what it says, I think, is probably surprising to us because the Bible is typically more positive about singleness than, than we tend to be, um, just as it's actually more positive about marriage than we tend to be and positive in, in different ways than we tend to be. So I think one of the most, again, the starting point, let's start with Jesus. We know that Jesus was, was single. Uh, we know that he, um, despite certain novels, Jesus didn't marry. Um, he was never romantically involved. He never had sex. And yet he was the most fully human person who ever lived, mm. which isn't to say that therefore being single like Jesus was will make your life fuller. But it is to say that we, we can't argue that marriage and sexual fulfillment is the key to a full life. It's both wonderful gifts from God, properly enjoyed and, and properly understood, um, but they're not fundamental to what it means to be a whole person. Actually, being in Christ is what it is fundamental to being a whole person. So I think we, our starting point often is that we've we've heard on repeat from our culture that if you're not sexually fulfilled, if you're not romantically fulfilled, your life will forever be a shriveled version of what it should be and what it could mm. be. And I think as, as Christians, it's easy to absorb that. And I think sometimes we even Christianize it by sort of inserting Christian marriage for sexual fulfillment and saying, well, you've not really got there as a Christian until you're married. And we want to esteem and honor marriage, but not in a way that, that kind of elevates it above where the Bible would have us regard it. So lots to think about there. Mm, there is so much to think about. Um, and I do in a second want to get to like popular culture and how they view singleness because it's it's such a profound thing. That, um, mm. I've only thought about it recently. Um, but one thing that comes up a lot is just singleness is restrictive. Like I've, I'm sure you've heard from people and I've received messages where people, are, especially Christians, are like, what well, seems like um, being single is just restrictive and like I can't um, do the things I want and like I'm missing like my other half or something along these lines and I can't get that like full joy that I want to experience in my life um, because I'm, I'm stuck in like singleness. So how would you respond to the Christian or the someone that would think that singleness is really restrictive um, with what they want? Yeah. Well, it is. Um, so is marriage. <laughs> marriage is restrictive in a whole bunch of other ways. Um, mm -hmm. Marriage restricts, you know, the time you have to develop other friendships. Uh, it, it restricts you to find romantic and sexual fulfillment in just one person. Um, so from, the, from that point of view, I mean, following Jesus is restrictive because we can't just do what we want. And it's restrictive if you're single because you, you, you're not supposed to be sexually involved with anybody. Um, outside of marriage it's restrictive if you're married because you're not meant to be sexually involved with anybody else um and you've got to be faithful to that person and and if you're the husband you've got to be laying down your life for that person that's very restrictive so i'd, I'd argue that marriage is more restrictive than singleness but following jesus is restrictive in all the ways that give us freedom so james mm. describes the law the perfect law of god that gives freedom and that feels like a contradiction to us because we think any constraint, any parameter, any guardrail is lessening our freedom. But what God is doing is he's He's restricting us to what gives us most freedom. He's restricting us to what we're actually designed for. And 
you know, it'd be like saying, well, putting a fish in water is restricting it, but actually it's the environment it's designed to flourish in. And God's word is giving us the, the, the commandments, the, the rules, the, the guidance that we need to truly flourish as people that he has made and understands better than we understand ourselves. So it's going to be restrictive because God's word has constraints on us, whether we're single or whether we're married. But if we if we have eyes to see, we we realize that actually God is leading us into real freedom. Um, and there's no way of avoiding it. If your if your goal as a as a Christian is, I don't want to be restricted, then you're living in a fantasy because we're either slaves to Christ or we're slaves to to sin and slaves to ourselves. And He's a far kinder master to us than than the world is, than the flesh is, than the devil is. So mm. a restriction-free life doesn't exist. We're all slaves to something. But if we come to Christ, we're actually we're actually enslaved to the one who is perfect love. Mm. And therefore, what, what can feel like constraint at one point in the Christian life begins to feel like freedom and life and health as we continue in Christ. So... Mm-hmm. I love, not not perfectly and consistently, but I love the restrictions that God has put on me. Mm. Uh, they're profoundly good for me. I'd be in all kinds of mess if I ignored those restrictions or, or try to break out of them. I think it's so well put because um, I was talking to my mother about this and it's just like no matter what state that we're going to be in, whether it's singleness or marriage or dating or like whatever, there's always going to be some sort of restrictions on us if we want to be a follower of Christ. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Well, he calls um, us again to, to deny ourselves and take up our cross. That that applies whether you're married or single or whatever demographic you, you fit into. And that's restrictive. So hmm. there's no way around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do have one more question for you here, and I've seen a couple of things, and we'll open up for a little bit of Q&A before we wrap up. Um, but in culture today, at least in my experience, I've always grown up believing in this idea of there being like this perfect romance. Um, like I'm 20, so I grew up watching like different TV shows and um, reading books and such, and there's always this like perfect romance. We have these two people, and they're like meant to be, and it's like happily ever after, you know, sunsets and rainbows and stuff. Um, so we, I think a lot of people, especially like um, in these younger generations are hooked on this idea of finding a perfect romance that will mm-hmm. be their other half and solve all their issues in life. Um, so when we're looking at this idea from a Christian perspective, is this really true um, with regards to like um, being single potentially for life and sexuality and like things like that? Um, no and yes. It, it's not true in the sense that the way people tend to conceive it in a very Nora Ephron kind of way it's not going to happen. Um, there is not one other person, human being out there that will fulfill all of your romantic needs, all of your emotional needs and make your life complete. No other human being is designed to do that. Um, no one can bear the weight and the burden of being your fulfillment. It would it would destroy them. Um, so not in that sense. Um, but yes, in a, in a deeper sense that I think our our yearnings for that, though distorted and twisted by our, our sinfulness, are nevertheless a memory trace. Um, because, again, we, we, we have been created to find our all and our wholeness in Christ. And the Bible, very in a very unembarrassed way, 
consistently speaks to that relationship with Christ in, in marital terms. Um, he is the bridegroom. Um, God is the God who, who romances and woos his bride in the Old Testament. Uh, we are the bride of Christ if we're Christian believers. Um, so, so yes, in the sense that, that in Christ, we do find the fulfillment ultimately of our very deepest yearnings and desires. And that sense that we need something to complete us, that's mm -hmm. a real sense. Uh, we're not meant to be self-contained. But what, what is going to complete us is Jesus. He says he's the bread of life, um, that if we come to him, we will, we will never thirst and never be hungry. He will satisfy us. Other, other people can't do that. And even the, even the best human marriages, um, amazing gifts that they are from God, are not going to be enough if we're looking for them to provide complete fulfillment. Um, because that they're meant to point us to the ultimate groom, which is is Jesus Himself. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, so what we'll do now is we'll open up for a few questions for a few minutes here um, before we wrap things up. So thank you. Um, BDS here has a question which says, um, how do Christians solve the problems of sexual frustration? Is marriage the only answer? Um, so really good question yeah. here. So thank you. I, so what are your uh, thoughts, Sam? Well, my initial thought is I'm not even sure marriage is the answer in one sense, because marriage... Christians that I know still struggle with sexual temptation, still struggle with sexual frustration. Um, so marriage is no guarantee to, to fix that. It is obviously the place where sexual desire is, is designed to be um, expressed and, and so forth. Um, this is a slight sidebar to the to the answer, but but in the in the Bible, the, the goal of sex in marriage is not that you have your frustrations met and your desires met, but that you are using your body to serve your spouse. Mm -hmm. um, Paul talks about your spouse kind of having authority over your own body. So it's not about are my sexual needs being met within marriage. The issue is, am I in my body? giving my my spouse what is, is rightfully theirs? Um, am I serving them? It's very other person-centered. Um, and if that's the case, if that's how God's designed it to be, then I, I presume over time we will find greater satisfaction in looking to meet the needs of our spouse than in looking for them to meet our own needs. But there'll always be um, some sexual frustration because we're, we're fallen sexual creatures and we live in a fallen world and mm. however far down the road of sanctification we go, we will still, I'm sure, find ourselves with sexual desires that are not designed to be met. <laughs> mm. um, so again, and I think for those of us who are, who are unmarried, um, again, I think we just, what I try to do is when I'm feeling that, that sense of, sexual frustration is to remind myself that that my sexuality is ultimately about my relationship with Jesus and to remind myself to let those sexual frustrations speak to me of a, of a deeper desire that is met in Christ mm. that there will be an ultimate consummation between Jesus and his bride um, there will be complete satisfaction and, and fulfillment and to to look forward to that and in the meantime to to get fresh air and take cold showers or anything else i need to um to help along the way mm. 
Thank you. Um, another question here from Matthew Craig, which says, um, how do we avoid the emotional appeal of compromising a biblical view on sexuality? Um, he says he's convinced of the New Testament vision of sexuality, but I often don't feel it to be good news um, that I'd like to share. So really profound question here. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, really great question. I think many of us will relate to that. Um, I think for me that the turning point came when I realized that God never says no to something without saying a much bigger yes to something else. Mm. So not just to think about the prohibitions, but to think about what are the good things those prohibitions are protecting. So whenever you get a prohibition in the Bible, whatever area of life you find yourself in, is to think what is the good that that prohibition is protecting for me? And in the case of human sexuality, if, we, if we're only focused on what we're not allowed to do, then it will be hard to, to kind of really see that as being ultimately good. Um, but when you, you see the positive vision of human sexuality that the Bible gives us, you begin to realize, oh, OK, I can now see why sex outside of marriage is wrong or why same sex relationships are prohibited or whatever it might be, why adultery is prohibited. And you, you, for me, it gives me a, a, a rationale for why those commands are in the Bible. They're not arbitrary. It's not God just kind of torturing us or, or annoying us. Um, there's a particular view and vision of human marriage and how it points to Christ and the church that that makes sense of that and actually spurs me on. Um, so I want to see the good I have in Jesus and for that to outweigh whatever trifling temporary pleasures sin might might be dangling in front of me. Mm. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, we do have another good question here from Lady Samurai, which says, as a Christian and same-sex attracted, what can you do to combat the loneliness um, you may end up having to face due to wanting to live a holy life? Um, some churches don't have groups for this issue. So really, really good question again. Um, what, what are your thoughts here, Sam? Yeah, singleness should not mean loneliness because um, romantic and sexual relationships and marriage are not meant to be the only place where we find deep relationship um so I, I would hope you know some some churches have groups for people who are single or for people who are same you know wrestling with same-sex attraction um that can be helpful I, I don't think it's always essential um what we most need in the local church is is the family of god it's it's the the body of believers to whom we belong and when we look at the new testament those those relationships are meant to be deep um, we're meant to be known and and loved by those in our church family. Um, the Bible has a much richer view of friendship than we do. So again, there's there's meant to be many ways in which we can experience healthy biblical intimacy that in non-sexual, non-romantic ways through friendship, through the family of of the church. And actually, all of us need that. Married people need that too. So um, there is a danger of, of loneliness with, with, being, with being single. Um, sometimes, sadly, there's a danger of loneliness with being married too. I know people who are lonely as a married couple. I know some people, sadly, who are lonely even within the marriage relationship itself. Um, all of us need the, the wider community of, of friends that, that we're designed for. Um, and which we find again ultimately in, in Jesus in John 15 15 he says to his disciples I no longer call you my servants but instead I call you friends mm -hmm. um, and as he then unpacks it it's very clear that Jesus is is defining friendship 
by the fact that he's he's disclosed so much to his disciples it's it's in self-disclosure that you build friendship mm. so letting people into what's really going on in life uh letting people really get to know the real you um is fundamental to that and you, you don't need to be married or dating for that to happen mm. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, we have probably one more question here from Matthew Craig, which says, um, do you have any ideas about how to cultivate healthy, deep, but safe intergender relationships in the church in a world where so many people have messed up in this area? Um, so what do you thought? Yeah. Yeah, intergender, I presume, means between men and women, right? Mm -hmm. um, I would assume so, yes. Yeah, I think actually one of the one of the easiest ways I found that is, is for it to be cross-generational. Um, I've got various... Um, in the church I'm at now, there, there are various uh, Christian women who who are my mothers in Christ. Um, and where I know them and their, their husbands very well. And that that dynamic makes it less complicated and less misunderstandable. Um, similarly, there are, there are couples my own age where I know both the, the husband and wife very well. And it, it gives me an opportunity to have a, a good sister Um in Christ through that. Um, so I think we, we need them. We, we need our spiritual mothers and our spiritual fathers, and we need brothers and we need sisters. Um, so I, I, I don't like the school of thought that says that we shouldn't have any female friendships at all. Um, but I think that the questioner is right, Matthew is right, to, to recognise that there's a safety that needs to be there. There's a healthiness that needs to be there. That it's it's that it can be very easy to charge into relationships and friendships where where it's unhealthy and and not safe in various ways. So groups can help as well. It's a way of of, of spending quality time with people where it's again it's not just one on one. So I think there are lots of different ways, but I think these things tend to boil down to let let the church be church. Mm -hmm. uh, let's be the family of God to one another. And that should give us the right range and depth of, of friendships ultimately. Awesome. Um, we have, this will be our final question for today. Um, but from Lady Samurai, it's a really important question where um, should a Christian come out um, as gay to their church family? Um, mm -hmm. So it's a challenging question, but um, what are your kind of thoughts on this idea, Sam? Yeah, there's, there's lots of actually, there's different layers to that question. Um, mm -hmm. So, there's the, the question of whether the language of gay is, is the wisest and most appropriate language to use when it comes to a Christian believer. Um, so, so part of the question is, should a Christian come out as gay to a church family? And my conviction on that is that, that the word gay does not serve us well. Um, there are some of us who experience same-sex sexual temptations. Um, the, the danger of identifying that set of temptations as being gay is that it, it, it makes it more of a part of our life than it actually should be um, and can imply it's our identity, it's it's defining of us and all those sorts of things. So I'd want to put a question mark over the use of the word gay. Should a Christian come out in terms of just sharing their temptations with the church family? Not necessarily. Um, we, we need to walk in the light with each other. The, the New Testament is very clear on that. We need to confess our sins to one another. So I think it's it's part of healthy biblical Christianity that, that we do have people who do know what our temptations are and who do know what our sin patterns are, that we are confessing those things to and who are, are helping us and walking with us through that. 
Um, so I think it's it's healthy for someone else to know what's going on. A few close friends, a, a Christian leader, that kind of thing. There can be times when it, it, it may be appropriate and and helpful either to us or to the church, to for the whole church family to know that. And that was the case with me several years ago. I felt this would be a good issue to um, open up to my church family about. Um, and that can be the case, but that that's a wisdom issue rather than a everyone should do it issue. Um, it may not be good for you or good for the church for everyone to know that that's something you're wrestling with. So that would need to be thought through and prayed through, um, especially with the leadership of the church. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sam, and taking time to unpack these really important and deep questions. Um, I want to give it to you for a second. Is there anything you didn't get to say or last thoughts, anything along these lines before we start to wrap things up here? I just want to, again, underline that the, the goodness of Jesus. Um, as, I, as I go on in the Christian life, Jesus becomes more beautiful to me. And I was, I was talking to a young believer who's, who's wrestling with issues of sexual identity and all kinds of other things. And I was, I was trying to say to him that what is going to keep you from sinning is, is loving Jesus more. Mm. Uh, Jesus has, has got to be more attractive to you than sin is. And I wish I'd known that 20 years ago. I think I would have had a healthier start to my Christian life. Um, I probably would have avoided a number of missteps and griefs along the way. But um, it always boils down to that. Um, Jesus will never fail to be enough for us. So let's just keep our eyes on him. Mm, that's so great. So thank you, Sam. And thank you so much for joining us today and um, answering questions and stuff. I encourage everyone, um, if, if you don't follow Sam and his work, there's a link down below to his website where you can connect with him and all of his work and things along these lines. Um, and if you're new to this show and here in Apologetics, as always, I encourage you um, to subscribe, whether you're here on YouTube or podcast, leave a like. We appreciate that a lot. And if you enjoy the show, you can support us on patreon.com slash here in Apologetics for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, we're like 83% supported so appreciate everyone's support through there um but sam thank you so much for your time it's been so good so thank you it's my pleasure thanks so much for having me and thank you everyone who tuned in matthew um thank you jesus little yec um uh, everyone else have a good one and god bless